So we return this day to our series of studies from Nehemiah. I invite you to turn with me to the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, from which we will be reading the first eight verses. This is at page 403 in the Bible provided for you uh, under the seat in front of you. Keep in mind as we read that this is within days now of their having rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, having been restored to Jerusalem and to the uh, promised land from their captivity to Babylon, and now returned under the uh, jurisdiction of Persia. <coughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask your blessing upon your word. As we sometimes sing, grant thy word success. And for that to happen, Father, we must have your Holy Spirit at work in every one of our hearts. Send him, we pray, to do this mighty work we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah 8, beginning of verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbanah, Hash. Badana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. How many, many books have been written about the matter of preaching? Several of them, in fact, are in my library. Some of them you have given me, and that's good. The list of things more important than the right and faithful preaching of God's word, I think, must be pretty short. Picking up in the scripture's own emphasis here, our own Westminster Catechism speaks of the centrality of preaching and the 89th question and answer, how is the word made effectual to salvation? Of course, when the Westminster is talking about salvation, it means not only justification, that is, 
being saved initially, but the whole full-orbed picture of salvation, salvation that stretches all the way from regeneration and justification to sanctification and glorification. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word. An effectual means of convincing and converting sinners of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Years ago, during our series of sermons from uh, his letters to a young pastor named Timothy, Paul impressed upon us all the primacy of preaching in the work of a faithful minister and in the life of any truly healthy church. But in comparison to the emphasis that has been laid on faithful preaching, the faithful conveyance, that is, of God's word to the people, we have very little instruction on the very important work of receiving the word of God by the people. I'm not sure, I'd be glad to be corrected, but I don't know of a single book given over in its entirety, to this matter of the congregation's work during the sermons. But I'm confident that the reason for this is not that Christians have uh, simply no need today for such instruction. Indeed, if anything, the church has never been in greater need of it. For several reasons, evangelicals in America today need to learn what they should expect from the preacher and then how to receive it well and rightly from him. The passage before us is going to be a good place to take some cues for ourselves when it comes to receiving the Word of God rightly. Four points. First, if we're to receive the Word of God rightly, we must come craving the Word. Look again with me at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord commanded Israel. You see that? Here we have the congregation craving and calling for this, for the word of God to be preached to them. They wanted this because they knew themselves to be so terribly in need of it. In fact, that we don't hear directly about it, here in the text, the spirit of the people indicated that they'd been praying for this and preparing for this. They had anticipated this day. And now, as only the Holy Spirit can enable a person, they craved it. Well, let me ask you this, congregation, and answer yourselves honestly. Did you come craving the word of God, desiring, anticipating the preaching of God's word to you today. Is that how you came to his house? Or let me ask you this. Have you been praying this week for the preparation of the word that would be preached to your souls? I know for a fact that some of you have. You've told me as much, given me reminders during the week for which I am deeply thankful as your pastor. I received an encouraging text 
one of you reminding me that you're praying for the preparation of the word just yesterday. Please continue to pray that way that the Lord would give his word success. Years ago in Table Talk magazine, in an article by Leland Riken on this matter of receiving the word, what he calls a tuning in, remarked that congregations generally get what they pray for. What is the right way to listen to a sermon, Riken continues. The first thing is for the soul to be prepared. Most churchgoers assume that the sermon starts when the preacher opens his mouth on Sunday. Rightly understood, however, listening to a sermon actually starts the week before. It starts when we pray for the minister, asking God to bless the time he spends studying the Bible as he prepares to preach. In addition to helping the preacher, our prayers help create in us a sense of expectancy for the ministry of God's word. So I say again, congregation, dear flock, please pray and then pray and then pray some more and then come expecting to hear and to receive the answer to your prayer from the pulpit. Come, as our catechism has it, attending the preaching with diligence, with preparation, with prayer. That's the first point. Let's come craving for and preparing for the word of God to be preached to us. Second, if we're to receive the word rightly, we must listen to it attentively. Look with me at verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Did you catch that? This reading, this expounding on the word of God lasted Not for half an hour, not for one hour or two, but for the morning, from the morning to the midday, somewhere between three and six hours this went on, and the people all the while kept their ears attentive to the word. Don't we struggle? Let's be honest with ourselves, frankly, Sometimes we don't even bother to struggle to keep our attention to the word for even half an hour. Much less an hour or two or four or six. Some of that, of course, is the culture in which we live. I understand that. I get that. I remember sometime back hearing Frankie Schaefer, the son of the late Francis Schaefer, say in a speech that he gave in Henderson, Kentucky years ago that our generation raised on television and accustomed to split-second images, now has the average attention span of an inebriated jellyfish. (laughs) He was exaggerating, of course. Jellyfish don't drink alcohol. But 
The fact is that we are bombarded with images and pictures and sound bites by our culture, even our government. Now, this in no way excuses us, but should only make us more diligent as Christians to be certain that we cultivate in ourselves the ability to listen and to think and to think through and to analyze and to apply God's word to ourselves, both as it is read to us and as it is preached to us. We simply must overcome our culture's passion and preference for the image over the word, for slogans over careful reasoning, for pictures over thoughts. Scripture says that we should take every thought captive to Christ, that we should be renewed by the transformation of our minds. If the people of God in the past have been able to keep their attention fastened on the Word of God, and they have for upwards of two hours even in our early American history, surely, Surely, you and I can fix our minds on the preaching of God for half an hour on the Lord's Day morning and for another half hour in the evening. It's not too much to ask that a people who can take in hours of instruction at work when it means making a living or an entire State of the Union address, though that may be a stretch for most of us, or even the two or three hour movie, I say God does not ask too much of us to fix our attention completely on what he has to say to us when we're gathered in his house for worship. George Whitfield, the great British preacher whose preaching broke out in revival here in our own country, put the issue this way. He said, if an earthly king were to issue a royal proclamation and the life or death of his subjects entirely dependent on performing or not performing its conditions, how eager would they be to hear what those conditions were? And shall we not pay the same respect to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and lend an attentive ear to his ministers when they are declaring in his name how our pardon, peace, and happiness may be secured? Which brings me to the third point this morning. We must listen to God's word with anticipation, with craving. We must listen to God's word attentively. And third, we're to receive the Lord's word. If we're to receive it rightly, we must listen to it reverently. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it to the people, they stood as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now look at where they are. Ezra's high above the people on the pulpit. Actually, the word in Hebrew is on the tower. And the people are bowing to the ground. What is going on? Are they worshiping a man? Of course not. Perish the thought. God forbid. They were worshiping God. All of this, the entire scene is 
calculated to produce, not only to produce, but to express a proper esteem, not for the preacher, but for the word, for the word of God that he preaches. There is a proper esteem, a reverence that is fitting for receiving God's word because in the reading and in the preaching of God's word by his ministers, it is in fact God's voice that is heard. When Ezra mounted that massive pulpit and read and spoke, it was not Ezra that was heard, it was God. And there is a reverence that is fitting for the people of God when they hear God's voice. That was a biblical doctrine, by the way, rediscovered by the Reformers several hundred years ago. The creeds and confessions of the Reformation say it plainly that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Calvin said that it was so for three reasons. First, because it is an exposition and interpretation of the Bible, which is the Word of God. Second, because the preacher has been sent and commissioned by God as his ambassador with authority to speak in his name. And third, because in that preaching, God himself speaks the Holy Spirit using human words to communicate himself to the soul. The same understanding of preaching led Martin Luther to say, yes, I hear the sermon, but who is speaking? The minister? No, indeed. You do not hear the minister. True, the voice is his, but my God is speaking the word that he preaches or speaks. That's why the late Reverend Rodney Stortz, my early mentor in this work of preaching back in St. Louis, used to say to us as we gathered around him that uh, his problem of a Lord's Day was not so much in the morning or evening that he rushed into the pulpit and was so anxious to get to it, but rather that approaching the pulpit, he had this feeling in his heart, this desire to run, to run in the opposite direction as fast as he could. It is a terrifying thing to be a faithful minister, to preach, to know that it is God's voice that is to be heard, not his. But Calvin and Luther and all the rest were only repeating what they had read in the scriptures and passages like this one, or like Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Remember that, where he commends them for receiving the word that he preached to them, not as the word of men, he wrote, but as what it really is, the word of God. Well, we want to say, you know, that was, that was Paul. Paul's an apostle, and, and ministers today are not apostles. Well, of course they're not, not in capital A, apostle sense, that is, nor should they claim to be. But there is a genetic relationship between the preaching of the apostles and the preaching of today's ministers. What Paul told others, such as Timothy, to do 
was to carry on in the preaching of God's word. He called himself a preacher or a herald, and then he commanded Timothy, by extension, commanding all ministers to be the same. And faithful ministers will take their cue from men like Paul and Ezra. People, men who would not dare to mount the pulpit to preach themselves or their own ideas, their hobby horses, but simply to read and to preach and to speak and to apply the word of God. And faithful congregations will take their cue from this congregation who receive the word with reverence, not as the words of men, not even as the words of Ezra in particular, but as the very word of God. So we must receive the word with craving, anticipation. We must receive it with rapt attention. We must receive the word with reverence. And finally, fourth, we are to receive the word of God, if we receive it rightly, to receive it submissively. That is to say, hearing the word, we must also do the word. We must obey the word. We must apply the word. The remainder of this chapter in Nehemiah, to which we'll return the Lord willing, is simply a record of the people doing exactly that. People who have heard the word of God and then become doers of the word of God. The word of God spoken through the preacher affected emotion and decision, and change, and action. And so it must be with us. If we hear the sermon, but we do not do what we have heard, if we hear the sermon, but are interested merely in criticizing the sermon, and trying to pick apart the sermon, in deciding which parts of the sermon we're going to agree with and which we're not, well, then we never have really heard it, have we? Every week, God's word tells us what promises to believe, what sins to avoid, what divine attributes to praise, what virtues to cultivate, what goals to pursue, what works to perform. There's always something that God wants us to do in response to the preaching of his word. Or as James puts it, simply, we must be doers of the word and not merely hearers. You've heard me quote the great reform pastor and Puritan Richard Baxter, very assertive on many points, and in this matter he's just as direct. He writes to the Christian, to you in the pew, he writes this, Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you're hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further than they are carried as by force. You have a work to do as well as the preacher and should all the time be as busy as he. Have you been as busy as he this morning? You must open your mouths and digest it, for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing, as well as an idle minister. Call up all when you come home in secret, and by meditation preach it over to yourselves. 
if it were coldly delivered by your preacher, do you preach it more earnestly over to your own hearts? How is the word of God to be read and heard that it may become effectual unto salvation, my brothers and sisters? Our catechism answers that the word may become effectual unto salvation. We must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Amen.